podcast ain't played nobody. Do you ever just you, you can't get away from the existential crisis? <laughs> um, no, I. How much do you cringe when we go through the pre-show prep and I just say I got something? I'm not going to tell you. We're just going to do it to start the show. Does that does that freak you if out? This were if this were a podcast known for its polish then it would be very stressful. Um, as far as I can tell, it is not. So, I, I, you know, it's it's really more intriguing than scary, I think. So you're not worried at all? Uh, I'm always a little worried, but I'll go with it. Okay. So, uh, by the way, good job last week while I was gone. Didn't listen, but I was told it was great. <laughs> um, good job on multiple guest hosts. It takes, it takes a village to fill my shoes. Um, you know, it's hard to be pithy and disconnected. A lot of work. I just sent you an essay, Bill. You can read along okay. with me. Um, I don't know if we'll get sued for this because I'm just going to read it verbatim. It's very short. Yep. It's to the point. Um, it's by Ben Healy of The Atlantic. I believe it's actually in the print issue in April. It's also on their website. And I will tease to this and link to it so maybe they won't sue us. Um, I may skip through part of this as I do when I read the press releases. But um, normally, Bill, um, as you know... When I don't even know what to call them anymore. It's not mainstream media. New York media establishment. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what you call it. Manhattan media. No, because most of them live in Brooklyn. When publications like The Atlantic normally address sports, um, terrifying. It makes it makes me want to to chew on a curb. It's awful. Um, but this one kind of stuck because it was so dis disconnected, dispirited. But I kind of liked it. And also, it provides an existential crisis, and I love those. So let me get right oh, to yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You dive headfirst into that. Yeah. Let me get right to it. Ben Healy. There's a lot of losing in sports. Only one team can win at a time, and only one champion escapes the season without tears. But that doesn't stop Americans from spending nearly $56 billion a year. Wow. On sporting events, while dropping many libations more. Or, sorry, I don't know where the word libations just came for. It's while dropping many billions more on jerseys, cable packages, and buffalo wings to say nothing of the substantial emotional costs incurred. And then, of course, this guy does like the most New York thing possible. Check out this combo. Having logged many fan hours on behalf of the pre-success Cubs and <clears throat> post-success Arsenal FC, <sighs> I've paid my fair share. See, oh, ben, I like your essay, but I already I just want to push you off of like a fourth-story balcony. <sighs> is fandom worth it? At first glance, the evidence isn't encouraging. Following a loss, fans are more likely than usual to eat unhealthy food, be unproductive at work, and, in the case of the Super Bowl, die from heart disease. So, full stop. <laughs> hmm. Thought? I didn't die. I, I, I puked up a little bile, but I didn't die. I don't know about heart Maybe I gave myself heart disease. I don't know. I believe you were uh, – eat, you did proceed to eat unhealthy food and be unproductive at work. Though, I didn't eat anything. Right. I didn't eat anything for um, – it was like 36 hours. I didn't eat anything after the, after the like $17 barbecue sandwich I got before the game started inside the stadium. That's what this podcast wants more than me reading an essay out loud is me talking about the Super Bowl from two years ago again. You know, by the way, happy 328. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Dying of fire. What about what about fans of the winning team? Well, their testosterone levels tend to increase which may account for why triumphant fans are more likely than others to suffer a post-game traffic fatality if the score was close. Now, or have a baby nine months later. All of these statements, Bill, have footnotes where there's a study. Um, it looks like almost every one of these is just an archive to, a, to an Atlantic blog, yeah. essentially rounding up some studies. So take all that crap for what it's worth. By the way, 
the increased testosterone, I, I mean, you definitely see fights at and during and before and three days before SEC games and Big 12 games and stuff, like Big 10 games too, I guess. But I don't know if the post-game testosterone causes a car crash. I think um, I think a wheelbarrow full of brown liquor causes a lot of car crashes after football games. Rival fans' treatment of one another is hardly more reassuring. A recent neuroimaging study found that fans experience greater pleasure. And this is where I'm really. So this is my. This is my uh, profanity alert. Where you can scrub 15 seconds. This is my shit right here. This is where I fucking balled out. Okay, this is where I was like, we got to read this on the air because <laughs> this is the heart of college football, and it's also how I am a fan, which is a sad thing to say. A recent neuroimaging study found that fans experience greater pleasure when watching a rival team fail as opposed to non-rivals. The same subjects were significantly more willing to heckle, threaten, or hit rival fans. Yeah. I've never been in a fight in a stadium. Um, I assume you have not. I have broken up a fight between fans. Yeah, but you haven't like team. swung though. No, I have not swung. I've done the exact same thing multiple times at multiple different sporting events. Uh, fans of the same team or opposite yeah, teams? fans of the same okay. team. Okay. It happens a lot, but it happens a lot more. Dude, Three letters, LSU. Okay. Well, this uh, was at a my, my one defense, my one uniqueness here is that it happened at a Bowling Green game. So you broke up a fight bet- betwixt Bowling Green fans? No, uh, between Missouri fans uh, while oh, watching their okay, team okay. get the crap kicked out of them I by gotcha. Bowling Green. Yeah. Okay. That makes that makes more sense. I mean, shout out to Bowling Green. I bet you all can get rowdy too. I'm here for that. Fans in another study reported feeling Schadenfreude. When reading about the injury of a rival team's player, and check this out. I learned a new German word. You ready? Glückschmerz. One more time. Glückschmerz. Sadness at others' good fortune. I experience Glückschmerz more than I ever experienced schadenfreude. Yeah. And it is a real, real painful thing. In fact, I did not, I could not watch the Super Bowl this year at all. Just like I know several Auburn fans who went to the movies during the national championship. <laughs> I get that. I was, and I said this on the show, Bill, I am here for that. Like I, you don't have to explain that at all. I don't think it's funny to ask Auburn fans who should win Alabama or Georgia. The correct answer is terrorist attacked. And and I don't think that's like terrible thing to say. I get it. I I know that level of self-loathing. All right. We almost had a Saints Patriots Super Bowl this year. Jesus. All right. Glucksmiths. Sadness at others' good fortune when later reading about the player's unexpectedly speedy recovery. I will say this, full stop, because I am a sports journalist and I do feel like I should say this because I'm around a lot of athletes and coaches. I never cheer for injury. Um, The reason I can back this up is um, the teams that I cheer for the most and worry about the most. Um, I don't have a college team, which I know is weird because this is the world that I work in, but on the other sports teams where I get emotionally invested, and I know all of you listening are emotionally invested into a sports, a college football team specifically. My opinion is this. If you have an injury even early on in the game or late in the game, I don't like winning the game and then having the rival fan base or the objective media or whoever say, well, they only won because so-and-so got injured. I hate what? that. I hate what? that. I would what? like to see Tom Brady hit by like a succession of players in like a particular outside kind of like a swim move defensive end but also a buick like i want i I would love to see him suffer like that on the field but the problem is i don't know if i want him kicked out of the game same i understand that i would rather beat 
uh, a rival team that has its star player, but I, mm-hmm. I would also just rather win. And so, like, it, it makes the post game a little more annoying if you've got it. Yeah, yeah, but you it wasn't without so and so. Yeah, but we won, and that still feels awesome. And so, like in yes. the end, I don't root for injuries, but <laughs> I don't mind them when they happen to the opposing team at at, the, at a key time because it helps my team win. All right, here's the Atlantic being positive about a distinctly red state, middle American pursuit of sports fandom. So brace yourself. Yet a substantial volume of research shows that being a fan can also have positive effects. It can ward off depression and alienation and build a sense of belonging and self-worth, provided the object of one's devotion is a local team. I found that to be super interesting because I cheer for teams that are not in my market with the exception of a hockey team. Um, And I really, really, I don't know if there's a cool German word for it, um, maybe just guten drunk, um, felt something different and fun and and really felt like like a responsiveness in the community when in nashville we went to the stanley cup last year and people they were shutting down streets and it was even cooler like the next morning and i guess you would experience this because you live in columbia missouri Mm -hmm. like it's not so much that that moment it's like on the tuesday morning after the game people are like wearing their gear around town and like you're going to the dry cleaners and like every facet of that city is still invested in the sports team. I find that to be amazing. It's something I've never really had the privilege of experiencing too much in my life. Um, so I really do agree with that. Back to the story. Much of this is due to social bonds among fans, but not all. Sports worship also provides individual fans with a number of strategies for navigating, li- navigating life's emotional challenges. I don't know about that. A landmark 1976 study described fans' tendency to embrace a winning team as, quote, basking in reflected glory or burging. What? I love all these, these made-up words. Um, I, I, I would agree with that. I know that feeling. I definitely – I was in it like – you've been in spots before where you're like, this isn't going great in my life, but my team is winning, so I feel better, right? I mean, yeah. you didn't earn that feeling. Um, researchers found that after a win, fans were more likely than usual to wear apparel connected to the winning team. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, of course. Uh, and to claim credit for the team's success via pronoun, describing the team as we okay. instead, instead of they in conversation. This is where I fundamentally disagree because I, yeah, I don't ch- think that's an after a win thing. I, don't, I think that's yeah. just a thing. I think this is I, – I think that research – I don't want to say like their study was bad or bunk or anything, but like – I would give that another shot and I would go to a bigger cross section of fans because I think that in extreme moments of loss, um, I just, I'll, I'll pull one out hypothetically. I think Chicago bears fans don't stop saying we, when they're three and 13, as they often are. I, I personally don't experience that. I definitely don't experience in college sports. Yeah. I mean, I think in college sports, it's, it's completely, uh, I think it countermands all of that stuff. I don't think you ever leave this sense of tribalism, right? That's what makes it different. Well, at least what we argue in the college sports media. Like there's definitely tribalism among certain pro sports franchises, but I don't think I, if you I'm, I'm sure there's a, you know, if you're talking about research, it doesn't you don't have to, you know, something for, that doesn't have to happen across the whole fan base for you it to be kind of a significant conclusion. So I'm sure there's a chunk of, of bandwagonism in every single fan base that those people are more likely to say we, if it's good or wear a shirt, if it's good, I'm very antisocial. I'm much more likely to wear a Mizzou shirt the day after a loss, uh, just cause I, I'm, I have to be different in every possible way, I guess. But I could see like there, there is absolutely a bandwagon portion of every fan base. I don't know about that one. Um, 
if you've ever done that, actually, I would like to hear from you. If you've ever stopped and gone we and they or just said your your school's name instead of instead of we, I don't think that's last. I don't even think that's going to last too long. Um, this was especially pronounced in fans whose self-esteem. Now, uh, wait, back up. This is right here. This is back up. Bang, bang, back up. It's a hell of a study. I have seen a lot of people box up their stuff and swear it off because I've done that for a week. I did it for like six months, um, but didn't yeah, even but that. didn't even make it. Yeah, I was going to say didn't even make it through August preseason games where I'm like, we can do it again. Um, just battered wife syndrome. This was especially pronounced in fans whose self esteem had been deliberately lowered by the researchers through criticism. <laughs> this is so mean. In the parentheses. Who knew we sports fans could be such sensitive souls? I mean, I did. all of us like, come on, Ben. So, all right, there's only two, there's two graphs left. Subsequent research has extended the burging model, identifying self-help strategies such as quote, basking in the, ref- in, in basking in reflected failure, burfing. I burf a lot. Quote, cutting off reflected success, coursing, and the especially ingenious, quote, cutting off future failure, coughing. I've done that, too. Yeah. I feel pretty I mean, good about probably, this. As, for, within the Mizzou fan base, I'd say coughing is probably the most, uh, like, the only, the only the, there's a certain basking in failure, but the, the only thing that, that, that uh, Mizzou fan is better at is, is trying to anticipate future failure yes. uh, and get ahead of it and say, I, I predicted it and whatnot. Yeah. You, you, you have to, th- that's a coping mechanism. And I think it's also, a, it, it, I think it's like an inherent fan PR strategy having lived through 28 <laughs> to three, like the burfing part, but then also the coughing part is you just got to get in front of that. You've got to, you can't kill me. You can't hurt me. I've already hurt myself by doing this. And you really have to kind of, it doesn't actually work. It doesn't norm- even slightly. Hey, here's work. the deal, Bill. Nothing works. You're going to feel <laughs> bad forever. Forever. I still know sports fans who are who are angry. I know Alabama fans who still hold anger about losing to Hugh Freeze twice, and they win they win the national championship every other year. Yeah, they won the national championship one of the years they lost to Hugh Freeze. Um, all right, last paragraph. Amid the burging and Schadenfreude and Glückschmerz, being a fan seems more than anything else to be a matter of managing responses to things one can't control. I do that poorly. Sports fans are inclined to respond to reminders of mortality with optimism. Really? And to remember victories much more clearly than defeats. No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I am. I am 30. I'm about to be 37 years old, Bill. I have seen one team I cheer for win one championship in that time of my life. That's one more than me. And I have, and I can tell you about losses 10, 15 yeah. deep before I even talk about the 1995 Atlanta Braves. All right. Well, yeah, but we're also not Yankees fans. So really that's, that's just our poor choice of, I uh, guess. we have more uh, defeats to choose from. Therefore we remember them more clearly. The last, so maybe that's all on us. And the last line is there are surely worse ways to live. Uh, ben, thank you for writing that. Everyone go click on that essay at the Atlantic. I'll, uh, 
I'll tweet something out. Uh, I, it was a long-winded way to open the show. This is podcast ain't played nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. I am Stephen Godfrey at Thirty Eight Godfrey. That is the robot Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S and P Plus analytics system and a multi-time author of books that you can purchase on the Amazons or if you have a local bookstore. Don't rub it in. Um, I agree with eighty percent of of the cited research there. So what does that say? Why are we doing this? I str- I struggled to get past um, Cubs and Arsenal. That was oh, that was so a tough bad. point. He look, he could have he could have deleted that line and had me. I would have I would have saved this and, and referenced back to it for years. But I know that guy. I uh, yeah, no, those guys are are, are not uncommon. Um, I like trying to imagine a world without sports and without sports fandom. I let me well let me ask you this. So the biggest one of the biggest problems we have just in the way we cover, you know, existence at the moment is the fact that politics are treated as sports and all the tribalism that goes into sports goes into politics. If we took sports out of the equation entirely, would that mean that would become like a, a useless construct for covering politics? Because mm. to where we might maybe didn't just play at it out like team sports uh, uh, over and over and over again, or would it mean that we double down on politics as our identity and, and our tribe and our coping mechanism? Well, I mean, because oh my god, I think competition will always fill the void, and I don't know if politics hasn't inherently touches on the right type of competitive voyeurism that we need. That's what sports gives us, right? Before we get into the whole like, oh, I own this and I, I'm a member of this team in sort of this bizarre spiritual or psychological sense in some people's cases, like I get – I don't know if like politics – I don't know if any other facet of life could do that. It's one of the weird – so I have these moments and I think I brought this up on the show before. But if you uh, if you have the level of passion that, that uh, you have to listen to this, to be a fan of – a college football team and really a sport. And that's another thing I wanted to ask you about is fandom versus appreciation, because I think those are two very different things. But if you have this level and tomorrow you are an NC state fan and you're just like, look, this is never going to happen. Right. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this (laughs) a lot, Bill, or if out there, there's like a balls to the wall, hardcore Oregon state fan. It's never going to happen, bro. It's never going to happen. Okay. Ever, ever, ever. And it's one of the reasons why I got interested in writing about college football because I attended a university and was groomed to be a fan of a school that was, that it, it was, is, and forever will be fatally flawed. Almost like, and that's not being myopic. That's just a very honest assessment. So, what if you just took all that and you suddenly became like a hardcore film fan? Okay. Like, you, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, you went to every obscure piece of, French or Italian or South American cinema and you did Oscar pools and you like got online and talked about projected box office openings and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I don't know if that could fill the void because a lot of us, a lot of us in this PAPN community, like we have a bizarre predilection for being authoritative about college football and really, you know, indexing the mind, the minutia, right? Like that's your jam, bud. but like, <laughs> I, do we could we fulfill that in a non-competitive environment because ultimately if you if you suddenly become a fan of film or art or you're like you know what instead of blowing 15 grand a year on parking and tickets and hotels and and tailgating like i'm gonna become a foodie 
and we're going to go to like five cities a year and meet <laughs> at these restaurants. I don't think like at no point are you going to want to be like, I want to die. This salmon was so subpar in this restaurant in Charleston. But I also don't think there's ever going to be a moment where you just like stand on top of the table at French Laundry and 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 scream and cry and then <laughs> like I don't know. I mean, I've never I been to French Laundry, but like, do you see what I'm saying? I don't think I, I think we have to do this. Sports brings tribalism and competitive competitiveness to the table. The competitiveness, there, you know, you're right. There isn't a define winner and loser the tribalism though it's it's equal in those fields and i I think like the best example i can have you were talking about giving up on you know quitting packing all your stuff in a box for a few months so after uh what was it the 2000 nba western conference finals so my 90s my sports 90s were uh getting sid breed google that what the 2000 western portland so yeah my my teams are growing up. My teams were the Dolphins, the Trailblazers, the Pirates, and so and Missouri. So, so my yeah, because I grew up in Western Oklahoma, and I didn't want to just be a Sooners and Dallas fan. So I made my own choices, and I chose horribly mm-hmm. in every possible mm-hmm. way. So I got the Pirates got Sid Bream. They went to three straight NLCSs and never made it. And and of course, the last one was coming back from three, one down, taking a lead into the ninth and losing to Sid Bream scoring from second. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you don't remember that one at all. Trailblazers uh, were just good enough to uh, get, they, they got beat by magic Johnson in his last stand with the Lakers, but then they made the finals and got Jordan shrugged. Mm -hmm. Um, The Missouri of course was fifth down and Tyus Edney and flea kicker. Um, and the dolphins of course would lose to the bills every single year in the AFC championship. So I chose my teams based on players. I liked in the, like the mid to late eighties, they all turned out to be good in the early nineties, good enough to then crush me in one way or another. And, and then, so you, then you circle back to 2000, um, and the trailblazers, um, I, I did not expect this episode to be therapy by the way, but the trailblazers like the pirates in 92 come back from three, one down, uh, their team's about to fall apart in the offseason. You know, they're, they're guys who are going to go their separate ways. They come back from 3-1 down. They take – I don't even – it was like a 17-point lead late in the third quarter at, in Los Angeles. They come back to force a game seven, seven. They have a huge lead going into the fourth quarter. Um, I believe it was Brian Shaw banks in a three-pointer at the like near the end of the third quarter, and I started thinking, oh, my God, no. No, this is – because that's like the ultimate foreboding – uh, moment uh the B- lakers end up charging back taking the lead Shaq throws um uh, a, a portland guard St- uh, steve smith into the stands and doesn't get called for a foul they end up winning um and I-, I was in my dad's apartment in dc at the time and i basically just i went out for a walk um and i came back and i don't think I, 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 I think i legitimately gave up on sports for about six months after that that was my breaking point um i returned obviously, but like that was uh, that, that 10 year, 10 to 11 year span was, was just almost no reward whatsoever. And I decided to basically throw all my energy into music. Like you were saying, like I, I, I had already been going to a bunch of concerts here and there. I just, I went to a billion concerts from about 2000 to 2002. Um, and you go on message boards for the bands I was following. Mm-hmm. There are tribes that this album's better than this mm-hmm. one. You're the bandwagon fan. No, you're the bandwagon fan. This set list sucked, but this one was really good. Uh, this Didn't band sucks Dave and they're just imitating my favorite band. All of that still exists. Didn't you follow Dave Matthews um, for a while? 
anyway, all of uh, what I didn't know I was asking. Exists. Yes, I no, that was and, and by the way, I mean if you're going to get into following a band, that's the, the yeah. they checked all the boxes. You know, you can get the recordings of your show by the time you're home that night. You they change the set list every night. You 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 start sitting around the same nerds at every concert, and you start hanging yeah. out with them. It was it was a great bonding experience. Blood over so the a same lot of behavioral bands. pattern emerges. Yes. Right down to the getting drunk part, right down to the forming tribes part. Basically, you just don't win or lose. Um, and maybe that's healthier, um, but it's also hmm. blurrier, too. And and so it, it, it doesn't give you that one thing that, that sports does give you in that regard. Huh. So there's no way to escape it. No, no, you're going to form a tribe. You're going to, we seek out tribes no matter what. And, and, um, as if you remember that great sports city thing I did about Oklahoma city tribes, tribes are going to kill us all. I have very strong feelings about this. Uh, and the fact that sports have bled into politics is really going to kill us all, but regardless, uh, it's probably better with sports than without sports. Okay. I guess we'll talk about sports. Um, I mean, I can tell I you gotta, my favorite Dave, Dave Matthews set list from 2001, if you really want to, but I don't think you want to. Did you go, did you actually go out on tour and stuff? Well, not like, like go out on tour, but you, you, you what know what I mean? Is, like, 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 Oh, I'm going to go see like seven shows or something like that. Yeah. Like, uh, it, that's hard to do for Dave because those tickets were expensive. Um, yeah. but like the reason I, why, was, the reason I'm asking is how that's no different than season tickets at yeah. all. Like yeah. I have a point to this. And if you're listening to this, especially if you're listening to this and you have kids, if you're phasing through a particular point of life right now, or if you're listening to this and you have teenagers and you may be able to sort of lean back into going to more home games on your campus, you know what I'm talking about. Like it's essentially the same thing. So if, if, if you stop tomorrow being a South Carolina fan and you were like, you know what, I'm just going to go see, I don't know, bands, um, right now but uh, just say my morning jacket i'll forgive you if you just said oh, my yeah, I, yeah I, no, I, saw, all, I enjoy two. i enjoy the my morning jacket tremendously that's a great example i saw them uh last year it's fantastic it was in nashville yeah so we're gonna go and they they do a thing where they go to like the dominican republic and it's a vacation package so that's a perfect yeah. example bill the show couldn't be wider um you go and you're well, like you haven't even right, the ad read yet to hell with you yeah. To hell with South Carolina football, although they actually look pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's South Carolina. Okay, okay. Um, just don't mention Clemson and great on a curve. I'm going to go and follow my morning jacket for six uh, six shows or whatever. Okay. Same thing. But I think at the end of it, you're not as fulfilled as if you – and then God forbid you spend like the 12000 or 10000 or whatever it was that you were going to spend, 5000 I don't know. And you do that instead and you don't go to the South Carolina games and you live in like, I don't know, freaking Birmingham or something where it's a drive. I don't know. At the end of it, South Carolina goes 9-3 and three and they beat Georgia. You would be devastated. <laughs> devastated. Because you can't really leave. That's the other thing. I think I think our buddy Ben at the Atlantic fails in one major way. I think the this his summation of all these different research papers and, and concepts, psychological patterns, I think it operates from a faulty thesis, and that's that this is elective in the first place. Or moreover, it's almost like I like I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I'm always going to be a smoker. Does that make sense? Like, if I think if you're a fan for a while and you go to a college that's a major football program and you 
do you do it i think it's always part of you isn't that fair to say i don't think you can ever completely disconnect i mean for me like when i get when when the old miss stuff gets thrown in my face i think i i can mount a decent defense in that i took it to the extreme i made it my job and so i learned things about college football and about how things work and it, and it changed like my perception <laughs> yeah it is it is weird occasionally i do have to have those we do have to have those save my soul segments um but I think by by and large, you, you can't really escape it. You don't really have a choice. So don't don't ever do it. Don't, sports, not even once. And if you know. somehow manage to listen to half an hour of this uh, podcast without, then you're doomed. You're doomed. About sports. You're doomed. Uh, I commend you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening at this point, there's no point in us even debating this, other than to maybe just maybe I'm trying to philosophically like freshman term paper my way out of out of. I'm basically absolving us of agency. Like we, we have no free will. It was determined either by family, tribes, geography, God, whatever. You're going to be a fan of this and suffer accordingly. And then there's a chosen few. (laughs) This is the old Testament part of the Bible, I guess. Um, There's a chosen few tribes who get to bask in the glory until one day we all rise up and eat them. Wow. Roll tide. I think this is a good That's time the to ad read myself. It's the only thing I can figure out. All right, we're going to knock out. Yeah, by the way, we open with an extremely long-winded existential segment. We're going to get to the Mac. We're going to get to reader questions. They look pretty good. Yeah. So I'm proud of y'all. Um, and we're also going to talk about Indomitian Sioux. Yep. Because Bill's been flirting with the NFL, and I'm just going to throw all this crap out on the street and, and, and change the locks. Apparently Nebraska fans too, which is doubly weird. That's so anyway. weird. Yeah. All right. But first, it's an ad read. Don't be scared. Bill, what do you think the average uh, listener age of this program is? Well, you know, just judging by the demographics of the hosts and the people who interact with yeah. us, I'd say we're pretty, yep. we pretty much nailed the 37 to 39 year old balding Wilco dads uh, demographic. Yeah, I would just say if it was a number, it would be uh, like if I had to pick an age average, it would just be owns multiple Jason Isbell albums. Um Bill, did you know that sixty-six percent of men lose their hair by age thirty-five? And I, when you, start, I did not. I did not until just now. And, and until I'm just now, good. right? Yeah. Because we've got a little bit of ad copy in front of us. Um, when you start to notice the hair loss, it's probably already too late. So, um, with that logic, it's easier to keep the hair you have than to go back and replace the hair you've lost. And um, if you care at all about this kind of stuff that you you know there's like all these weird stories of like hair transplants and like back in the day people had sweet rugs like you don't want to do any of that jazz if you're concerned about losing your hair if you don't just want to shave it down and go pure mma dad which is very different than wilco dad um you want to check and see if your hairline's slowly moving backwards um you really need to do something about it now um you don't want to do anything that's you know from another like mail order country business um or you know if you do let us know but you're probably going to grow like a third arm off of one of your shoulders um instead why don't you go to fourhims.com that's f-o-r-h-i-m-s.com it is a one-stop shop for hair loss skincare and sexual wellness bill sexual wellness for men because i know that when you're in the middle when you're in the middle a podcast ain't played nobody all these Wilco dads are worried about their sexual wellness. Uh, but thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Uh, 4HIMS connects you with real doctors and real medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. 
Um, so basically, you're going to get the well-known generic equivalents to the name brand prescriptions, which is you know going to save you a bunch of money. Um, it's going to help you keep your hair. There's no weird sort of creams or herbal blah 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 that kind of stuff that you've seen maybe in the, the very back of a magazine or on like some super shady pop-up ad if you google baldness um you don't gas have to stations. go to a doctor yeah there's no i mean you don't have to do anything in a gas station you don't want to um basically you, you answer a couple quick questions and then everything is reviewed and assigned to you specifically and everything's shipped directly to your home so that's always nice got that amazon style going um so if you're interested you can get a month trial of Four Hymns for just five dollars today while supplies last. Um, all you have to do is go to the website, and again, that's fourhims.com. F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. Um, this is normally hundreds of dollars if you go to a doctor and go through the traditional prescription route. Um, most people's insurance will not cover something that's considered to be um, elective. So, if you're interested in this, if you're worried about your hair specifically, if you're looking for a little bit of that sexual wellness action. Uh, this is the spot to go to. It is forhims.com, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com, slash checkout. Hey, guess what our code name is? Guess what our offer name is? <laughs> Ready? It's forhims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com, slash nobody. And one more time. That's really for, open for That's pretty good. For papping, or yeah. ain't. But that's I would have gone with ain't personally. But um, if you're interested, again, anything to do with skincare, anything to do with sexual wellness, and anything to do with uh, arresting the development of your hair loss, fighting back against time, staring 40 in the face, you go to 4 slash nobody. That's 4 slash nobody. I really think the latest Jason Isbell album is his best, by the way. You are on brand. Bill, the baton death march of season previews, Trudges along. Yeah. Right? You're probably in that marshy area where Frodo and the Gollum guy, they spent like 45 minutes of that, that third movie. I have proudly not seen any of those movies, by the way. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, at this point, it's just kind of like, um, b- because it's weird, just one of those things to see how long I can keep it going. Yeah. I've done that with Avatar and Harry Potter, and I will never watch a Harry Potter film. But I'm, I'm And I'm really okay with that. Bill, you are trudging along through... Um, the Mac and you have finished that particular leg of this journey Mm -hmm. every year, every year (laughs) I set up the Mac preview by saying it's largely interchangeable, still springboard for coaches, primarily to go to big 10 jobs. No one is really interested. It's a fantastic sideshow on a weeknight. We appreciate it being there but we don't really form a thought or even separate particular identities when mm. it comes to the Mac. Right. I do believe that. Now, maybe it's because I live in the footprint of the Sunbelt and not the footprint of the Mac. And God knows how we even wrote the QSA in this discussion. <laughs> but I know that if I see one of the – I mean, actually, I know why. It's because I grew up a Georgia Southern fan and yep. I know traditions and history. But I do think that they are separated. Uh, I, I think that the identities are more realized at places like App State and Georgia Southern than they are at some of the directionals and, and some of the Mac schools. Now, I know someone listening who's an alumnus of a Mac school is, is, would take great umbrage with that, but you have to do better <laughs> to convey those identities. For um, a while. So every year I ask you, make it stand out for me. Okay. Sell me. Where is the sizzle on the steak <laughs> in the Mac? Yeah. 
it's for a while. I mean, they had about as good an identity as they could possibly have. Everybody's everybody's spreading the ball out and scoring 60 points. First to first to 63 wins. And um, that got them a lot of attention, especially for those Tuesday and Wednesday games. Uh, it was perfect fodder for be, for the for the November Maction midweek stuff. And it, and it worked really well um, this year. I think there are more programs that have the needle pointed in the right direction that, that have an identity or have hired a good coach. Uh, they, there are a lot more programs I think that are kind of, they kind of know what they're doing. Uh, problem is there's not, you know, that's good. Quality is a good identity, I guess, but it's not really an identity. And there are a lot more teams that are much better at defense than offense, for instance. So you've got kind of a, a mishmash right now of teams that are good at one or the other, or, or, or yeah, a couple who are decent at both, but you've got like, um, Toledo and Ohio should be, or Ohio especially should be very good at offense again this year. Buffalo should be outstanding at offense this year. NIU outstanding at defense, offense a little bit of a question mark. Um, and so you you have a mix, and and you know uh, you could make kind of a Styles make fights kind of argument there, but there isn't this one action kind of identity anymore. Uh, and and you know I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a bad thing. It's probably not a good thing though. Uh, I get the only other way really, I guess that the Mac can form an identity is by beating a bunch of power conference teams and um, schedules aren't great for that this year, but there are some, uh, there are some upset possibilities. So um, I, can I sell you, I guess the closest thing to a sell is, Hey, I think a lot of Mac teams know what they're doing. Do you think there's any correlation between maybe a feigning interest or, or, or waning interest in the Mac and the fact that in the last 10 years, the middle and bottom of the Big Ten went about fixing some of their problems. And what I'm getting at here is that the MAC used to be able to make a, a more declarative statement in weeks one through three because they could have a school beat Purdue or a school you know, beat Indiana or scare the crap out of or beat Illinois, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And there's still there. Look, there's there's plenty of assy in the Big Ten, but there's considerably less than there was. Right? We've discussed. Uh, no, this. I don't think so. Um, I think there is every bit as much assy as there has ever been in the Big Ten. Um, what? When you look, I, look, at, Illinois, how, look, Illinois is an ass stasis forever. Okay. Illinois, but, Maryland ended up being very bad, although they can blame injuries on part of right, that. But they have really good. Uh, like Minnesota, that was terrible. Uh, they have PJ Fleck. He, sure, but he hasn't done anything yet. Uh, Rutgers was really bad last year, obviously. Hired Not quite as coach. bad as the year before. Still recruiting. Nebraska was really bad last year. Basically, like in any given year. Nebraska ain't losing in a MAC team again. For, for again. <laughs> again. Like, uh, yeah, they haven't done it for almost nine months now uh, or six months now. But, um, no, I mean, I, they, we can certainly talk about some of the teams that have been recently in the bottom and the fact that they've made good hires, but there's still yes. a lot of ass in the Big Ten. So, I mean, I and this and the top part, portion of the MAC, Toledo and Ohio were legitimately awesome last year. Uh-huh. Um, Toledo then just completely took their bowl game off. They, they finally won the MAC. They finally broke through, and then they just got romped by Appalachian State, but they were still a very good team until that point. Ohio was uh, had a high upside. Northern Illinois had a very good defense. I mean, there are teams that, as, as Nebraska fans can attest, there are teams that uh, the, uh, the top of the MAC and the bottom of the Big Ten, the top of the MAC is still much, much better. This is um, why I, do, I don't like some of the bowl structures that I don't I don't really know what else you could do from a financial standpoint, but 
the Bulls, where you end up pitting Toledo and Appalachian State, to me, that yeah. hurts both programs tremendously yes. because that there, yes. there's very little. Which one was that? The Montgomery, Alabama? Was that the Cure Bowl? Uh, I can't. Well, part of I think part of the problem is I don't even remember. Exactly, and we do this for a living. This stuff. So yeah. rather than do Dollar that, General. Dollar General, Dollar General in Mobile. Uh, I think so. Okay, so the point is we don't know. Um, obviously, we would much rather have an have some kind of like situation in which Toledo has that kind of season app state has that kind of season. And then the reward is similar to those, that partner bowl in the group, in the, in the, what do we call them? New year's day, whatever's I don't, New year's six. I don't even care about the branding anymore. No one officially tells you to call them that, by the way, it's just stupid. But, it's just really easy to type in Y six instead of power true. bowls or, right. or whatever. No, that's very true. I like bowl Alliance though. Back to 92, my man. <laughs> um, to get a Western Michigan versus Wisconsin type situation, I just don't know if you can replicate that over and over again where you get one G5 a year that gets to play darling, right? So you, sometimes you get a Boise State that thumps Arizona, but in any given year, you and I know this, right? We proselytize. There's five or six of these. I think with with the with the exception of what? NIU against Florida State, however many years ago that was, and then PJ and Western Michigan, the MAC catches the short end of that stick more often than not because there's someone's ascending to godlike status in the AAC on the way to a major job. There's, you know, I think a regional bias involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't it be awesome if the winner of the Mac could play like uh, an eight win SEC team? Or Big Ten team? Uh, what about Mac versus S? I was going to say Mac versus SEC. That's really unique. Um, no, we used to have like in the in the Motor City Bowl, whatever branding it had from year to year, you'd get like a Purdue versus Central Michigan type of game, right? Um, and that was more like you know six and six Big Ten or seven and five Big Ten. But no, I mean the biggest problem with bowl, God, I don't even know if I can call it a problem. Like right, right, bowls are more. Uh, this is not the best word to use, but kind of segregated at the moment between G five versus G five and P five versus P five. We don't get much overlap at all. We had a terrible Southern Miss Florida State game. We had oh, a great yeah, USF bad. versus Texas Tech game. Uh, we had a little bit of overlap, but it is minimal right now. And so, but that like, was Styles make fight. Oh, like that. That was yeah. like oh, Florida yeah. State didn't care at all. Southern Miss, not really equipped to make it sexy. The fact that Florida State, it wasn't like they could have come in that game either not caring or not giving a damn, and they didn't give a damn, and they just went out and played for this themselves, and so they put like one of their best efforts of the season, and and Southern Miss was never going to be able to handle Florida State, one of Florida State's better efforts. Mm but, regardless, but still, you end up with a few of those, and of course, the the, the given New Year's Six Bowl of the, of the year. But like the first week to week and a half of bowl season is almost completely G5 versus G5. Yeah. Boise State, Oregon was another overlap. Um, and then – Which is sort of like its own weird half. rivalry with the history and the punch. Right. And like that actually um, – like I circled that game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the last half of bowl season is almost entirely P5 versus P5. And so, that you know, if I'm I, – I am a fan of a P5 – team it was a lot easier to get excited about a bowl against texas even though the game ended up sucking uh, it was a lot easier to get excited about a game against texas than it would have a game against like memphis so i kind of get it i totally get but it if there's I, no question if i'm an auburn fan and we only win eight or nine games and alabama or georgia's doing whatever to compound that misery it, central florida is not a good example because they were undefeated this year i, I just pulled auburn out as like a theoretical if you are assigned to play that app state or that 
Toledo, Bowling Green, whatever. It's just not like, I don't know how you sell that to the P5 fan base. I get it because you're going to go to a little location and play a game that at first glance to a lot of your fans is going to look like, isn't this like, this is like a homecoming level of, you know, even though the team's really good, yeah. then your actual team is going to have to like prep and coach and work their butts off because you're playing some like throw it against the wall. This is the biggest game in our program history. G five, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the way like a Bowling Green or a Toledo would approach if they did get Auburn in the Liberty Bowl or Arkansas or whatever. Um, I've used Auburn too much as an example. Someone's going to shoot me. Um, yeah, <laughs> if it was Arkansas in the in the Liberty Bowl and you got to drive down from whatever like snowbound apocalypse you were dealing with in the Mac country and go to Memphis for a couple days and drink any barbecue and watch a football game. Like that's awesome. I just don't know how you would necessarily sell that to the appropriate sec team, but really what we should do yeah. is I think I just figured this out. So uh, you go way too far with this, I guess, but really what we need is like not Mac bowl affiliations or mountain West bowl affiliations, or at least not at the top, but basically kind of how we do with the new year's new year's six pile of teams. You basically designate somebody as the number two G five team, the number three G five team, number four. Mm -hmm. And then those bowls have, or maybe you create a pool of four of them and then geographically kind of figure it out. Uh, But those teams then are designated for, for, you know, decent bowls. Um, I don't know if that's like Liberty bowl level or something um, a little higher or lower than that, but something to that effect where the really good teams in the, in the uh, like Toledo again was outstanding and they got sent to mobile. Um, They deserved a little more than mobile last year, even though they then went about disproving all of that when they actually went to mobile and laid a giant egg. Um, But that's maybe you do something like that. Hell, maybe we make the new Year's six bowls, like the new year's 18 and just have like the top 36 all designated for spots and screw conferences all together. I'm sure they'll be very happy about that. But um, you know who would actually benefit from this tremendously? The service academies, because I think there's a sell there, especially for, the service academies don't play a lot of P5s uh, outside of like the Navy rotation of, of the like Navy has this rotation of like the Notre Dame, et cetera. Right. You know, you might see a rotation in with, I, like, I think hey. Georgia Tech used to. Wow. Old school yeah. podcast. Um, why not have a army beat San Diego state in the armed forces bowl i, I, th- I think, I think um, sure or poinsettia yeah, for their tip right right yeah. for their 10th win of the season navy goes to the poinsettia whatever etc cetera, et cetera. i think plugging in a p5 there i think would actually be interesting and if you do the right if the geography is right for the travel i think fans would be interested because you can sort of pump the tradition part of it um yes yeah, so I, th- I think like sending a pac-12 team to the poinsettia does that already happen Possibly. i don't think it does i think it's a mountain west team yeah, it's like, um, yeah, God, this is, I, I'm not in bowl shape yet uh, at the moment, apparently. Yeah. But, but again, the reason I'm trying to work backwards with the Mac, because I don't know if the people listening to this, and I understand we're supposed to be recapping the Mac, but I'm trying to keep it broad scale to prove a point. I don't think a lot of people remember the fact Toledo won the Mac. And I think part of the reason that is, is because of the way that they finished the bowl season. No, some Whereas the same I think way. people, like you've basically solidified. I think a lot of people still think Western Michigan is like, you know, <laughs> it, like, not that Fleck is there necessarily, although some people might still think that, but Western Michigan is, is getting a two to three year bump in, in sort of like Q rating off of playing Wisconsin and Dallas. Yeah, the Sun Belt champ, like they, they basically decided their bulls before the, 
before they know who the champion is, it seems. And Which so, I hate that too. Yeah. I hate that too. Um, so, no, I'm, also, I'm I think this, I think you, there's a misuse of the new Orleans bowl. Like that's a location going to the Superdome. You can kind of make that feel big and important. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did, no, not, could, I did not mean to hijack easily, this specifically. I know this is an idea that just popped into my head, so I haven't completely fleshed it out, but you could easily like the conference champions and then maybe like an at large, like a USF, for instance, I think maybe they were Mm -hmm. there or Memphis, maybe um, where they are, they do have designated bowls, uh, hopefully semi distributed for geography so that you can uh, go somewhere, but like you could even include BYU in this batch if they were willing to accept that, you know, semi G five designation, they're probably more willing to accept it this year than they were a year ago. But, um, you know, so you could easily produce five or six really, really good G5 teams um, and kind of showcase them in some degree without sending them all the way to like the Cotton Bowl or something. So, yeah, there's I'm, something there. There is something that the, the partner bowls have, have hit on in the taking the the number one, the red hot G5 and putting them in an interesting game against a really good P5. Now, I do think every P5 uses the same excuse when they lose that game of like, well, we just couldn't get we couldn't get up for it. Maybe with the exception of that Richard Arizona team. I think they damn well knew how good Boise was. In fact, they hired Marcel Yates, who's still the D.C. there after that game from Boise. So so they didn't maybe Arizona is the one exception. But I know Auburn fans are like, oh, God. Got to deal with UCF. No yeah, one Arizona cares. Also, Arizona also got to play in the Fiesta Bowl, and that was just a big deal. Period. So. Yeah, yeah, I think that helps a lot too. It's basically, you know, the it's like USC going to the Rose to a lot of people in Arizona. Um, Florida State obviously made laughable excuses about why they got drugged by Houston, uh, also in the Peach. There's that game is pretty good, and I remember those games anecdotally yeah. a lot clearer than i remember when baylor and michigan state played a good game but an otherwise meaningless one um case in point i think everyone listening remembers more about ucf auburn than they do about ohio state usc yeah like that game we had this we had this argument on the podcast when we were going through through bowl prep or through our bowl preview like i know it's helmets on the field and i get that but it just didn't work for me it would have worked better for me had USC been decent. But, God, uh, that game sucked. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. The, the helmets were really cool, but then eventually a good game had to take over, and it didn't. But, Bill, uh, before we move on, can you give me – actually, just let, let's all just – let's pick a team in the MAC. We don't have to cheer for them, and this is not the predicted champion, but I want you to, to hand the PAP and listening audience the most engaging MAC team, the, the MAC team to just keep half an eye on as you scroll through your scoring app this season, something that will be entertaining. Um, I, and part of this is cause I like the coach, but I've been, I've been really interested in, in, um, in Lance Leipold going to, uh, a, a, an FBS school for a while now. The, the, of course the Wisconsin whitewater, 11 billion title winning coach who then cho- chose the Buffalo job basically to see if he could do it. Um, so that's been interesting to me for a while too, but now this year they've got, uh, they started to really start to figure something out last year offensively. And they've got a junior, a six, seven junior quarterback named Tyree Jackson threw for 2000 yards. Um, and a, because six, seven, two forty-five. Um, his best receiver is a guy named Anthony Johnson, who is like a cousin of Jadevian Clowney. 
Um, he caught 76 balls for, for 1,356 yards. Now his name's Anthony Johnson. And you're going to forget that as soon as I start talking, because I forgot even while, while praising him, I forgot it. It was too generic apparently. Um, but they're going to have a really good passing game this year. They also got George rushing a, a grad transfer from Wisconsin. Um, they have a good line. I'm not sure if they have a defense, they have a more experienced defense anyway, but this is a team like I, this is, I, I try to trump my numbers a little bit at least once um, mm-hmm. you know i have my projections and then i have my opinions and um projections don't i mean they still have buffalo sixth in the mac but i think they might be better than that and they they might be a team with a really fun pass catch combo um you know i think that's probably a team that is going to be way more fun this year than you would think a buffalo team should be um and and they could actually i think they get ohio at home they could actually actually kind of sneak into the mac title race uh but that that leads me into the one thing i'll say about the mac here is i think this year might actually be a really good title race um, Toledo's still going to be more talented than everybody else, but they have a lot to replace. Um, in mm-hmm. you know, both guys in the backfield, a lot of guys on defense. Ohio's got everybody back just about on offense, uh, loses their entire front seven, and they had a really good run defense last year. NIU still might not completely have things figured out offensively. They'll have a very good defense. And I think the fact that they're not going to pull away means Buffalo, Miami, Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan, maybe Bowling Green, who has who discovered a really good freshman quarterback late in the year. All of these teams could surge, uh, and any one of them could could play a role here. And I think you're going to see a lot more competitive games this year. That's that's my that's myself for the MAC. I can talk myself into the MAC a little bit this year. Okay, Bill, oh. we're going to weirdly talk in Dominican Sue in a second. I want to do questions <laughs> first because I think we'll get there organically. Um, as always, we put out the uh, hashtag AskPAPN. If you have a question, you don't have to wait for us to do the question solicitation thing during recording because we usually are doing that on like a Wednesday or a Thursday morning. So if you just randomly have a question, go to Twitter, tag one of us, preferably both, at uh, SBN underscore Bill C at 38 Godfrey. Um, by the way, I'm thinking about changing my handle. We should discuss that on a show. Um, yeah, I don't know. The numbers are I will weird. Screw that up. I will screw I that up 146 times. I know, but it's just maybe it's time. Um, anyway, we got a bunch. I'm gonna pick one to start with. And actually, you know what? We can just do Sue through this one. Wahoo okay. Jones asks: Predict the Nebraska spring game attendance. <laughs> what is a sellout? Eighty. Ninety. Uh, yeah, what was it like eighty-five? Now let me pull up. Uh, let's see. Memorial <sighs> Stadium Lincoln capacity. What is the ninety thousand? They're up to ninety. Okay, now. it's probably too early to get an accurate weather report. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go seventy-five. Yeah, I could see maybe eighty. Um, I mean, they're gonna draw well anyway. But yeah, now they've got the the hometown boy coming back. So yeah, it's going to be high. It's going to be high. Um, I'd like to, by the way, I would like to say um, thank you for your question, Wahoo Jones, but also I don't have an opinion about this anymore. I think it becomes a dumb thing that is either like people scold fan bases for doing this or people hold like stupidly hold this up as like, this is why college football got most passionate fans. Like, I don't know why that particular accent came from like Charles. I was say, that was a college football. Yeah. That was like that, Charles that um, but I don't know why, like if that's your thing, that's your thing. And I think it's just a tradition in Nebraska because it's just not a lot's cooking in Nebraska. And that's fine. I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, I lived in a lot of places that are pretty sparse. So um, 
I'm just cool with it. Like if, I mean, what do you think, what do you think it's going to be this year in Tuscaloosa? Probably not, you know, a full on hundred thousand or whatever, but, uh, they're always going to draw 50, 60 at least. Yeah. So, and that's cool. That's fine. Um, weird. It's, it's super weird. Cause the game's super boring, but you just get to, if I'm in town, I still do it at Missouri's cause it's, it's a chance to sit in the stadium and talk to your friends, uh, and maybe learn one thing about your team that you didn't already know. Um, and you know, that's worth it. It's middle of April. What else are you going to do now here in Columbia where it's been 40 degrees and wet for approximately 19 straight months. Yeah. Um, that's gonna, you know, I, I assume I now assume this will continue forever and that'll tamp down attendance a little bit, but, um, if the, especially if the weather's nice, it, it becomes a wonderful outing in the middle of April. Uh, Andrew Wibble at Polo. We didn't actually talk about Sue. <laughs> oh, wait. All right, we'll just do it at the end. Uh, Andrew Wibble right. at Polo underscore pick says, would you be in favor of the FCS moving its season to the spring to gain more TV opportunities, ratings, and casual fans? Hashtag SPAPN. Um, I'm going to just say no. Um, I'm, yeah, no. I am okay with, uh, I really like the FCS playoffs. I think they occupy a really great spot, which is, um, basically the space between the Heisman and the start of like whatever crap ass bowl kicks it off Boca Raton or the cure or whatever. I think it's, I think it's way better football, um, than the first two weeks of bowl season, the FCS playoffs. Um, I like the tradition. I grew up watching the FCS playoffs when I could because I weren't really on television because, again, the team that I grew up cheering for was a perennial FCS playoff team. And I think to me it's – I don't know. It's probably why I'm so comfortable with if this isn't going to happen. Suddenly we had a college football commissioner tomorrow who said there's a 16-team playoff at the FBS level. I would be like, yeah, that's fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's not going to hurt anything because <laughs> it really wouldn't. Um, it would just hurt people with money connected to bowls. Um, I don't like this idea. Um, I, I don't want it to lessen or cheapen or modify what the FCS does. And I think a lot of FCS schools has, as has been proven on the field are as good or better than, than a, a, a crossover portion of, of, uh, I almost said P five of FBS. And also if like, what would have, what would Carson Wentz have done? Would he have been playing when he got drafted? Right. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, I realize they do that for like the college world series and whatnot. Some of there, there's sometimes an overlap there, yeah, the but that'd be, that'd be super weird. Sport, so. <laughs> but, that, but you're right. I mean, the, the FCS teams have pro days and go to the combine yeah. and do, do things for draft prep, just like everybody else. And if you're starting your season, can't start it in January. So you'd have to kind of start it in like March. Um, that would kind of wreck a lot of, it would be more exposure, but it would be context no context exposure because we know that NFL scouts don't trust anything they see at the college level. They have to see it for themselves and, and, you know, I, and, and, you know, watch these guys that run off uh, run on a track like they will in a real football game or whatever. Um, but I, I do think there's probably, yes, there would be exposure. Yes, there would be television, but I think it would hurt in certain ways. And I, God, I gotta be honest. I like an off season. I like having an off season. Uh, another issue I'd point out why it would be fatally flawed is you would not see coaching crossover. Um, it would spell doom for a lot of coaches who would feel stuck in that particular area. It's one of the reasons why spring football leagues don't work on the pro level. Um, 
guys are trying to get jobs at the at the higher level and the same goes for fcs and you know if you're in the middle of a season or if you're prepping for a season when the football convention rolls around or you're trying to get on with the team as an analyst it's just it's not going to work and they're not going to sacrifice their careers um, unless they absolutely have to be at that job and then if they're stuck in that fcs job they are actually stuck so um i'm i am cool with this bill i will say this is there a way to keep that window where we get the fcs playoffs but also, I, I really like the August stuff. I, I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't mind the August stuff at all. Like, go to August 15th, 20th? Is that is that heresy? Mm-hmm. Like, if we started well, the FCS, you, you know, with, if, we, if we had two August Saturdays of FCS, would that be heresy? It's a long FCS season. It would be tough just because you, a lot of those schools haven't started yet. Yeah. And so that would probably hurt attendance. It would help exposure, but it would hurt attendance. And yeah, I, don't, I mean, maybe. I, I'm, I'm not going to complain as a viewer, um, but I think there would probably be some issues with it. It's tough. Um, I, yes. I would still like to see it. All right. You got one? Yeah. Um, now, when I first read this, I thought it was from uh, a snarky Wisconsin fan. It turns out it was actually from an Iowa fan. So now I felt kind of bad, but I'm going to read it. Um, our friend Derek DeVries at DDeVries03 asks, what has to change for Iowa to contend to win the Big Ten, the Big Ten West over Wisconsin this year? First, I thought that was like a little, you know, a, a very passive aggressive joke. Um, but it's not. It's, act, it's an actual Iowa question. So let's... Um, Talk about Iowa, you know, way back in uh, 15 when Iowa last won the Big Ten West. It seems so long ago. Um, well, that's my answer. It hasn't been freaking long. They're not that far away. Um, they lose Akram Wadley and James Butler at running back. But as it turns out, the running game actually sucked last year. So uh, the passing game was better than expected with Nate Stanley and, and Noah Font and Nick Easley and whatever other 38 tight ends they had going in that Ohio State game. Uh, the passing game was a little better than I expected, at least. Mm-hmm. The defense was, you know, an Iowa defense. Uh, but really the answer, I guess, to all this is uh, play Wisconsin at home. And as I look at the schedule, uh, September 22nd, they play Wisconsin at home. So beat Wisconsin, and there you go. Th- then you're a contender in the Big Ten West. Are they that far out um, of the picture? I, 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 kinda, I saw the question when I was scrolling through, and I thought, like, yeah, I mean, if you told me Iowa wins the West this year, I wouldn't be shocked. We, we've definitely, the, the narrative is, and we've done it on this show a ton, obviously, the narrative is that it's Wisconsin and everybody else. Um, and it's really easy to forget about Iowa, not only because Iowa plays a sometimes forgettable style of ball, um, but they really... Sometimes? They, they Well, I mean, sometimes they complete 38 passes to fullbacks and they destroy Ohio State. So not always. But, um, no, I mean, they were top 20. I'm looking at their S&P Plus. They were top 20 on defense. They were worse than normal on offense because they were a run first, run second team, and they couldn't run, uh, which was a problem. But uh, th- that does mean that losing the guys they lost isn't going to really hurt them all that much. And, they, got, they you know, that, that's it, though. They were 8-5 and five last year. They were just a couple breaks from being in contention this year. Uh, and the break this year is that they play Wisconsin in Iowa City, where it's, uh, as we saw last year, as we've seen in many years, it's really hard to win as a top 10 or so team uh, in Iowa City, especially if it's at night. So, uh, yeah, they're not that far away. Just uh, pass the ball well, figure out how to run a little bit better, and and then just keep on being Iowa, I guess. Um, let's see. Where do I want to go? Um, real fast, we can answer this one. Brian Mann, frequent question asker, says, uh, asks, why is the Sun Belt having a conference championship game? Um, Brian, for inventory. Um, I think that's the short answer. It's it's inventory. It gives the Sun Belt an identity on that championship Saturday, and they like that. 
and it adds another game. It, you can sell that game to networks. And I know the TV deal is kind of wonky and we're still trying to figure out like they're going to be kind of paywalled essentially. I don't know what kind of demand is going to move a needle on a paywall for just the Sunbelt. But, um, I, you know, I'm kind of over the conference championship debate. I know obviously the Big 12 owned that that controversy for so long and for good reason, but um, at this point, I think it's it is a function of of college football. It's fine. Um, has it derailed anybody in the playoff era? Just off the top of my head, I. Well, no, I was about to say in the playoff era, the Michigan State Ohio State Big Ten Championship that was before the playoff started because the first playoff was won by Ohio State. So, I don't know. Like to me, it it just seems like a non-issue now. Well, I think it's a different thing for like a Big 12 and a Sun Belt. Sun Belt, well, if, if the Sun Belt actually had like a, a place, a pretty good place to send its champion, then a conference title game, like at the end, especially since we've had a lot of weird scenarios here the last few years where like Appalachian State didn't play Arkansas State or didn't play Troy or whoever, however that works. Now they've got a round robin, which is, um, or no, no, they don't actually. They, they still only play like eight out of nine. So it's it's weird. This makes sure that the two most marketable teams in your conference play each other. That's fine. Big 12, uh, you know, yeah, having OU and Texas uh, Christian play each other last year didn't hurt anything, uh, and it didn't hurt OU in the end. It could have. Uh, they would have made it without one, uh, but it was a buttload of money, and um, as we go along, for, as, as we go through life uh, further and further removed from all those stupid excuses the Big 12 was making for having this game in the first place, uh-huh. then, yeah, we'll kind of we'll start to lose interest. But it was still – I maintain that it was very stupid logic. Uh, behind what ends up being a reasonably money-making thing so whatever um it is it is definitely a, a little bit of an old topic though but for the Sun Belt, especially they don't even have um pr- uh, full round robins why not yeah why not it's fine how's that it's fine um <laughs> okay one more question then we're going to jump into the uh your weird foray into nfl commentary not necessarily um Albert Diego Sanchez asks, which is the more difficult blue blood job? One with great location, but an administration that isn't exclusively worried about football success like USC or one like Bama, where you have every resource, but not a hotbed location. Um, hmm. Well, I don't, I don't think not a hotbed location is why uh, Bama would be difficult. It's more that right. expectations are absurd. Even compared to USC, they're absurd. But, is it not a hotbed location? In fact, oh, look at this. We've got dissension in our ranks. At, <laughs> at, you know, John Carolyn uh, uh, chimes in to Albert and says, I'd argue that Bama is pretty close to a hotbed location. I would agree, John, um, that recruiting the state of Alabama is phenomenal. It's not maybe the city of Atlanta or the city of Houston, something like that, but still pretty right, damn but good. They're close, I think. And also you're Alabama, so you can go to the city of wherever and recruit. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty – close to a lot of the places in the South and the South is loaded with football talent. So yeah, I mean, they're not being in the middle of Alabama is not the single most amazing place to be, but you're close to everywhere you need to be. And so it's fine. All right. Here's my answer. I think if you're trying to win a national championship, a national championship, Mm -hmm. I think you go to USC. If you're trying to build a dynasty, you go to Alabama because I think to a point they could both win national championships in, in a particular year. They've both proven that. Um, I think, however, there is such a commitment above and beyond eh, borderline psychotic in, in Tuscaloosa to <laughs> doing every single thing that they can think that it takes to win. And because they constantly receive proof of concept and everything that they do from Saban winning, um, there really is no, there's no peer. Um, 
there are programs that aspire towards it. There are programs that are modeled after it. Um, it's pretty amazing to see what Clemson's done, Clemson has done in the last 10 years. But if you want to sustain success at the absolute highest level, and you're also Nick Saban, I think Alabama's going to hand you whatever they want. I think we're getting lazy by talking about Alabama only in the Saban context because Alabama yeah. becomes a deeply flawed situation, kind of like USC, but a different flavor when the wrong coach is there. And so we've just become accustomed to the right coach being there going on his 11th season. That job was a weird trash fire. I mean, maybe not trash fire. 12, in the, actually, yeah, 12 years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, 12 years. Wow. Um, maybe not trash fire because, like, you know, it was still Alabama. You could still rehab it and turn it into what it is, and that's what Saban did. But the job was not appealing. And I'm not just talking about the Francioni stuff. Like, they went through problems. They had dissension in the booster ranks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you, NCAA violations. you hear a lot about the – the same stuff going on at heritage heritage hall when you don't have a, a centralized sort of you know figurehead Pete carroll was so good because he fit that usc culture so damn well um and i think that i don't know about clay helton i go back and forth um i think usc would obviously be in a really really good place right now if they're, they didn't lose their quarterback um i think the way their the way their year looks going forward I have a couple questions about what they sort of want to be on offense. I don't know if he's figured that out yet, but having to replace that quarterback is going to be interesting. And I don't know if we're going to get a referendum on USC anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, Alabama is one of the only places historically that's had more dynasty runs than USC. Um, you know, USC, obviously in the two thousands, uh, what is six, seven straight top five, uh, finishes they were incredible from the late 60s through the early 70s they were good in the late 30s under howard jones they've had a bunch of good runs but alabama has done it under a bunch of different coaches so yeah i mean i would say that makes alabama the better job here but you know i mean one of my favorite points that you've ever made on this here program is uh talking is reminding everybody that the way nick saban has wrangled all of those boosters and all of the disseminating all of the uh dissenting forces i should say um, th- that our Alabama football is very, very, very unique because that job can eat you alive. It, and, and so the, the job he's done is a Saban thing, not just an Alabama thing. Uh, the, the, the potential at Alabama is obvious, but yeah, not just anybody can do that job. That's why my prediction has always been that Alabama would not just regress, but recede to a significant point, not because Saban is Saban, but because saving, only saving can be Saban. Right. It's not that you could necessarily come in with anyone else after the fact, even if it was a direct, a, a direct descendant on the tree. Obviously, Kirby's not going to be that guy now, but, you know, wh- whomever that might be, I don't think it matters. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's I, I, I no offense to Davos Sweeney. I don't think it's possible. Um, I think it's so much of Alabama's success is tailored to Nick Saban specifically. It's really hard to replicate that. And so they're going to fail. I, I- I like the the concept of of, of <clears throat> Dabo taking over job. Um, just because of the personality shift. It wouldn't be like because this is where when you've had a, a coach who's this good for this long, you almost you, you desperately try to find somebody who can do it that way instead of making a shift. Um, and with 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 <clears throat> Dabo, you would get both the 
success, potential success anyway. Every job's different, and maybe he doesn't do it as well. But uh, you, you would get the potential success and enough of a change that it would be a true change. Mm-hmm. And so that, that seems like a really good – now, he, he might not want to leave. Um, there's nothing saying he would take the job at this point, but I, I, I could understand him being extremely attractive for that job, uh, not only because of his success, but because of the culture that he would kind of um, – the, the things he would, he would change, I think it would be very good. Bill. Dominican Sue, you put out a tweet and you talked you, the first the, so the first comparison you made to Sue going to the Los Angeles Rams was you talked about the interior line of the 2014ish Ole Miss Rebels with Isaac Gross and when they finally figured out I guess it wasn't really finally it was pretty early on that Robert Kadichi was actually not the nation's best defensive end in his recruit, but was the would be one of the nation's best defensive tackles. Although he yeah. essentially played D tackle as a defensive end um, in terms <laughs> of the style, it was really strange to watch, um, but it worked. That is what the, is that 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 was the comparison you made with with Sue going to uh, to join Aaron Donald and the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I really. Um... I, I wrote a little bit, just a random, a little random rambly piece about this at football study hall back in like January or something too. Like I've come to realize over time that one of my favorite styles, like we all have our, you know, our thing. Um, I love like the big loping long stride receivers and I love just the, the guy, the defensive tackles who turn everything into a bar fight basically. Yeah. And um, the highlights, the best highlights of, of Kim DJ at, at Ole Miss were, were in, in most cases he was nowhere near the play. It was just basically him going full Tasmanian devil on a couple of offensive linemen, uh, gross chipping in the, the 240 pound nose tackle that was Isaac gross. Uh, and then just, just destroying everything, uh, that the line was attempting to do. And then basically the rest of the defense playing nine on seven, um, and hitting somebody very hard. It was just such a fun defense. Uh, they were one of, if not the best, um, in the country that year in, in defensive S and P plus, uh, but it hit me as I was writing that, like that was kind of a, I was burying the lead a little bit because really, Yes, there is that, especially when you put him next to Donald, you've got basically two, you're going to be running a Wade Phillips is three. Well, Wade Phillips is three, four is a little different, but you're going to be running a three, four different uh, defense with two incredibly disruptive defensive linemen. And that's not really the way it's supposed to work. Wade Phillips can handle that better than just about anybody else. Um, but it's going to be so unique. And, and really when Sue's at his best, I mean, he'll make his plays and he'll, you know, <clears throat> commit his personal fouls and whatnot, but he's going to just be kind of a, a destroyer of worlds and he's going to let everybody else make plays. And it's so much fun to watch. Um, Randy White, uh, the football study hall post I wrote back in, in January or so uh, referenced Randy White. He was basically that too. He was just a street fighter. He was undersized even in like the early 80s, late 70s. He was undersized uh, for a defensive tackle. But he just fought people. He just, he just, you know, he bit, scratch, and clawed, and uh, everybody hated playing him. And then everybody else swarmed to the ball. Uh, it was so, like that's uh, that's my uh, that's my perfect world defense right there. I think it's a, it's really really fun to watch. And uh, uh, we're gonna have a uh, a special guest here briefly, uh, who just came downstairs and is on spring break and who was tired of uh, not talking to Stephen Godfrey. So come here for a second. Hi. What do you think about Nebraska? What is Nebraska? That's Nebraska. a completely oh. fair response. <laughs> what do you think about Star Wars? I like Star Wars. What do you think about Superman? Not a fan. Oh, not a fan of Superman. Wow. Shame. Oh, he's got to wow. mother. But okay. I do like Supergold. 
Do you know who Indomitian Sue is? No. She's really kind of painting me in a corner here, Bill. She just shrugged her shoulders. Why are you shrugging your shoulders? I don't know. Say hi to Godfrey, or say bye to Godfrey. Bye. It's spring break. It's cold and miserable outside. It's it's been it's been touch and go. So now, now now everything's better. Um, at what point did Nebraska fans contact you about this piece, though? Is this is this just a sort of like still claiming ownership of a guy to get us through, or? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he he is absolutely. Well, plus for all of his um dirty play on the field and and he's certainly been uh he's certainly had his moments on the field um he's been really good to nebraska he's he's given back to nebraska i think he's done a lot in uh his community in oregon um so he's been she says bye um she's been or he's been um he's given back and, and they really appreciate that plus i mean at this point like i i do find myself just drawn to that kind of transcendent uh, great individual greatness. Uh, and, and he was, that defense was absolutely terrifying. It was all him. He would defeat a triple team. Um, and then he had Jared Crick and whoever else, uh, Barry Turner and all those guys on the defensive line. And then Nebraska would just play a dime. They would just basically seven on four, the rest of the field with a bunch of speedy defensive backs who a few of whom made the NFL as well. Uh, and you couldn't do anything and you couldn't do anything. And they, uh, if they had even a slight semblance of an offense, they would have been incredible that year. Uh, but as it stood, they still needed to you know, have Blaine Gabbert get injured in a monsoon uh-huh. and make a late fourth quarter charge for them to win the Big 12 North that year. It's pretty fascinating. I think, I think we, we tend to revere guys like Sue at the collegiate or pro level because I was about to say casual, but even people who watch it for a living or just, you know, if you're not a football coach or a professional analyst, like it's hard to distinguish interior line play period so when you yeah. see when your eye is drawn to the interior line because of one exceptional person i think i think we rally around that i think it looks cool i think it looks superhuman honestly you know i i was kind of the opposite you're talking about like sort of styles that you love i, I could certainly respect a four three with interior linemen that are disruptive and it creates a lot of sort of fun opportunities but i always loved the the single the nose in a three four being able to just yeah. like not like it, I guess it's not so much a bar fight as they just create a black hole and you don't right. notice it until you see the replay. But, but the reason I like it was it allowed the, the, the four of the three, four to really fly around, create pass rush opportunities and just do cool stuff in the open field as they're blitzing. And you would always go back and, and realize it's because this one nose was leading everything in just sort of like, neutralizing an offense, you know, an offensive line from the inside out. It's pretty cool to watch. Yeah. You have to kind of learn to do it though. It's not something you just yeah. catch. <clears throat> yeah. So much of this is all just about numbers. And if you have one guy who can take on two, that means you have 10 guys left for their other nine. And, um, and it, it becomes such an interesting little numbers game in that regard. I will say the, uh, so I wrote about this yesterday, just it ended up, it was about Indomitian Sue and teaming with Aaron, uh, Aaron Donald and how good the Rams are going to be. But it was also just uh, uh, reminiscing about that 09 Nebraska team and how like that was one of the first times I'd started writing at Outsiders I think the year before I think 08 was my first year there and so I just started kind of branching out into talking about a lot of the country and not just Missouri on the Missouri blog um, 
and that was we have shorthand when regarding four three versus three four and nickel and all those kinds of those terms right. that uh, do mean something but don't mean a lot. Um, and and to me, like I, I was in the Big Twelve, and there were systems in the Big Twelve. There was Mike Leach's system. There were you know uh, Kevin Wilson's system of of offense and whatnot. So you either played a four three or a three four or four two five, and that was your defense. Uh, and there were traits associated with those, but. This was such a, a, an education. I didn't even realize it at the time, but that was a very educational year for me watching Nebraska do what they did and basically saying we have this, we have the greatest matchup advantage in college football, uh, not only this year, but for many years. Um, and we are going to craft the rest of our defense around that to take advantage of it. And that was a really unique thing. Um, they tried to do the quote unquote peso defense again the next year and it was good, but it wasn't as good. And then a couple of years later, it wasn't very good at all. Um, it was never terrible, but it wasn't that. It's about personnel. Right. And so they didn't have Sue and then they didn't have Jared Crick as well. And it just didn't work the same. But when they had Sue, they did such a nice job of saying, okay, well, we could run your typical four, three and be really good at it. Or, uh, we can craft an entire identity around this one dominant dude and do things that teams haven't prepared for before uh, and really destroyed their world. And and they did that. Uh, Colt McCoy, it was still four and a half sacks, seven tackles for loss against uh, Texas in the in the Big 12 title game for Sue. That was unbelievable. That game was, uh, wow. Just they still, by the way, heart. just because I feel I get, I get itchy if Nebraska fans like me too much, I, by the way, I, I maintain it was the right call at the end. There should have been a second left. Oh, okay. Uh, that, was not, that was not, they did not get screwed, but it was still an awe-inspiring performance. Bill, that's a fabulous way to end the, uh, in, in the episode. Um, one thought I'll leave you with this. I think uh, when I look back on the 09 uh, season and maybe going into 10, I think right about the time we all sort of pick apart what Gus Malzahn and Cam Newton do after that, you suddenly see a culture of like post system ideology in that no coach is really willing to cop to anything, no adherence to a system or a structure. Everybody wants to be thought of as an auteur who are constantly blending concepts and (laughs) ideas. And to a degree that's always been the case. But I think at that point it stops going from spread, spread option, zone, zone read three, four, four, three. And I think, multiplicity and just a liberal philosophy of adopting concepts really starts to flourish at the highest levels of college football to the point where you would sound like a dumbass to say anything's a spread anymore because the concept right. exists everywhere and nowhere at the same time. It's, it's been amalgamized. Um, and so what I remember about those times and talking about teams was we, you could context, um, it's very popular to say in the organ in the like professional organization world, putting things into buckets, you could do that pretty easily back then. And now it's, you know, by and large a mess. Um, but I think that's the way coaches want. And it's because I think imitation replication, I think the walls have come down. You know, I watched, I watched an entire offense essentially run through Amari Cooper in that sugar bowl against Ohio state by an <laughs> Alabama football team. Like what, I mean, that that wasn't happening in 2009. That that was a different Alabama. That was a way different Alabama, you know. But they got stroked a couple times with big, fat, slow linebackers, and they had to <laughs> not only adapt on defense, but but begin to begrudgingly take concepts that worked on offense from systems that Nick Saban used to say were, you know, gonna like kill kids where they stood or whatever. 
So no, Saban, I, I, I love that Saban just straight up acknowledged it. He's like, yeah, I, this isn't my version of, of fun football, but uh, I, I'm leaving points on the board if I don't do it. So I should do it. And that's the uh, and that was the key, honestly, was acknowledging that he needed those points. Bill, we could wax on for a while. One thing that we talked we didn't even get to in our pre-show notes was um, making holding Bud Elliott down and force-feeding him spread concepts and making him like it because that's what Willie Taggart and Florida State are doing right now with the Gulf Coast offense. So We're going um, to talk about this in the future with or without Bud. I'm not sure. We'll have to figure oh out how God, to do that at that point. I'm loving this so much. He, had, he put in a still from practice the other day into one of our slack rooms at work and was basically like, <laughs> like hesitantly asking like, uh, are those are those wide receivers lined up in in Baylor splits? Yeah, like like a, it was the most tentative like thing in the world. It was so great. Speaking of leaving um, points on the board, uh, Florida State not doing this for many years. Uh, I think we will t- look back on and think, why the hell uh, didn't they move to this sooner? But it took a coaching change, I guess. No kidding. All right, Bill. Uh, we can talk about that and much more next week. Where are you going with the preview? Uh, it is Mount West time. The San Jose yeah. State pr- preview just went up today. It was the first one, maybe the second one the, of this preview season where I realized as I started writing it, like, shh, shh, crap, I have absolutely no idea what I want to say about San Jose State right here. Uh, and it took a little while to get rolling on it, but uh, it's up. We'll figure out what to say about them. So we'll get the back ass end, if you will, of the Mountain West on next week's show. Bill, I'll Yo. see you next week. Yep.